Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. I am thrilled to have Sherry Boyer with us today to talk to you about her business, Plant Society, how she got in to this really interesting line of work. And as is the theme this season, to talk about what it's like to launch over 40. Sherry, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to have you. Nice to see your face here on Zoom. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Plant Society? Sure. So happy to be here. I love the podcast and everything you do. I listen frequently and have enjoyed so many of your guests. So thrilled to be here. And to talk about Plant Society, one of my favorite topics. So Plant Society is a wellness platform for natural remedies. And we have an online store. We have a wellness newsletter. And we have retail collections with some partner retailers and an education platform on the website. And really, it's just all about um, plants over pills. That's our tagline and how I like to think about what we're trying to do. And that is not to say that we don't accept or believe in Western medicine. I think there's definitely a place for Western medicine. But with Plant Society, I'm really trying to help people remember that we have a lot of traditional and ancient knowledge and we know how to heal ourselves if we let ourselves. And so it's really helping people awaken to that and bring awareness to some of those remedies that are all around us in our yards and growing naturally, and that we can heal with plants over pills. So that's that's what it's about. How did you start Plant Society? Like, was this informed by your own health? Was this sort of market driven like hey where are we going what are we what are we doing to our bodies like tell us a little bit about that yeah it's an interesting question so definitely informed by my it's my own personal passion i'm kind of the person who's always researching the information on what's going on in health and what new remedy options are whether it's intermittent fasting or cannabis and i had so many friends coming to me and asking me about things. And I was always giving people advice. And I thought, gosh, there is really a need for this. And I think I was fairly incensed by what I like to call the medical industrial complex, Mm. whether it's the way our insurance systems work, and they don't really help our patients. Or, you know, I think there was a big wake up for a lot of us with the opioid crisis, Mm -hmm. that you can't just take whatever your doctor gives you and think it's going to be okay. I mean, we really were let down by our doctors and the whole pharmaceutical industry with that. And so it just made me realize there's got to be another way. And I personally never relied on that system. And for that, I have to give so much credit to my parents. So growing up in Southern California in the 70s, my parents, I don't know if they were hippies or what, but they were super into natural food. And we were drinking raw milk and eating whole wheat spaghetti, when all I really wanted to do was what all my friends were doing, which was have meatloaf and, you know, Lucky Charms. (laughs) Like, I would have been so happy if I could have just grown up that way. But 
as a result, I was super healthy. I literally, Netta, did not miss a day of school between kindergarten and 12th grade, not one day. Oh my gosh. Um, I got the perfect attendance award, which is like the biggest, you know, nerdy (laughs) you could do. But my parents were teachers and they were like, no, you don't miss school unless you're dying. And I was never sick. So I just didn't have a lot of exposure to the kind of Western medicine system and to taking medicines. And I think kind of always had a belief that you could heal yourself. And it's, you know, it's not just nutrition. It's also, we know now more about things like meditation and time in nature and mindfulness and gratefulness and all the, we're, the science is starting to catch up with what I think our traditional societies have always known that these things can add to our well-being, both our mental and our physical health. And so it just, it's really all of that. It's all of that, which goes into making a healthy human and using your intuitive knowledge to heal yourself and not just kind of handing yourself over to a doctor. Sure. So So I imagine that it's funny. My parents grew up in Egypt and immigrated when I was two, but we have a very similar story. Like I was begging my mother, my mom made fruit roll-ups. She would boil down apricots, put them on a marble board. And then I was like, no, that's not how we do it in America. Like where are the Twinkies? I want the preservatives. (laughs) Give me the preservatives. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I, it's very similar, very similar background in that way. So I imagine that all of your friends are tapping you for this knowledge over the years, your mom groups, you're hanging out at school functions and sports functions, and everyone's like, Sherry's the go-to person for this information. When did you make the decision that this needed to be a business, an entrepreneurial venture, not just the way I live my life and the way I want my children and my family to live their life, but when did you make a decision that you wanted to offer this as a service? Great question. It was the 2016 election and not for the reason why you're going to think it is. Oh gosh. Okay. It was the one bright side of the 2016 election. And that was that cannabis got legalized in California. And of course it had already been legalized in Colorado and in Oregon and Washington. But when California legalized, it was a huge deal. And I have always been an advocate of cannabis for its healing properties And when it got legalized, of course, it kind of came out from the shadows and there was so much confusion about what this plant was Mm -hmm. and what it could do. And then of course, along with it came its friend, which had always existed, but no one had really ever heard of it, which was CBD. Mm -hmm. And so I was very knowledgeable about the benefits of cannabis and CBD and had a million questions from everybody about, you know, what's it going to do to me and how can it help me? And am I a stoner if I use it? So this whole, I think, campaign of demystifying and destigmatizing cannabis happened. And I was so passionate about that, that I just said, this is, I need to now start a business. And when that happened, you know, in the the years when it became legalized, there was a proliferation of CBD, particularly products on the market. And it was just kind of a free for all. Yeah. And I felt like it was important to help people understand, number one, how cannabis and CBD work but also which products work and what products can do what. And so I joined up with a certified cannabis nurse who went from being kind of a very traditional 
kind of straight laced nurse, never had used cannabis herself in her life, but she has a very transformative story of using cannabis to get her mother who had osteoarthritis off of her 24 medications she was taking every day. Oh, wow. To down to one and just so much better health with using this cannabis medicine. And so we joined forces, we created a testing protocol, an eight point testing protocol that we now run all of our products through. And so using that, we've been able to kind of sift the gold from everything else in the marketplace and have, we've probably tested 800 products and I carry about 50 of them in our online store. And so it needed some discernment and curation. And I think a lot of people had interest in trying these products, but just didn't know where to start. They might buy a product off Amazon, for example, that would say it had hemp in it. And they thought that meant it was CBD, which it wasn't. And then they'd say, oh, it didn't work. And then they'd say, oh, CBD doesn't work. And it was so frustrating to me because it wasn't CBD that they were trying and they had no idea if it was working or not. It was Mm. really just a bad product. And so I was just very interested in helping people understand how they could use these products to heal. And it's so gratifying to me that we have so many repeat customers that say, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that, you know, I was taking Benadryl to try to sleep or, you know, Mm. even, you know, some, an Ambien or some kind of prescription. And now we can give them something natural and they can sleep through the night and not have an issue and also not have all those side effects that the pharmaceuticals often come with. Sure. What you did reminds me of what's happening in the clean makeup movement, where Mm -hmm. for so many years we were putting whatever on our skin Mm -hmm. and not realizing that our skin was absorbing this. And now we're really paying attention and there are sort of clearinghouses, if you will, that discern what is truly clean makeup and what isn't. And with everybody, especially kind of in that marketing space, wanting to include CBD in their product for hair, for teeth, for skin, for pain, for whatever, some products work and some products don't. And unless you have the bandwidth to try all 800 products as you did, (laughs) we don't know if we're actually starting with the ones that are going to give us those benefits. So do you think that's sort of the kind of the hero product of what you offer is that sort of information that you're discerning that along with this nurse that comes from Western medicine, who's seeing the benefits of these things in her own mother, but now is a practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that curation. I've consciously decided not to make a product Mm. unless I feel like there's something missing in the marketplace, then maybe there's something I want to add, but there's so many products out there. I just didn't feel like I needed to slap my name on something and make something. And there are many, many good products out there. So yes, I feel like we were able to help people say, I'm willing to give this a try because I trust this testing mechanism and these folks that have done this curation. And then we start to have this snowball of it works for them. And then they tell their friend. And so then you start to have this body of client evidence or patient evidence that these things work. And that feels really good that we can offer these natural products. And I agree with you. um, It is very much like the clean beauty space. And I look a lot at, you know, for example, Credo's um, list of banned substances. We have a similar list that we use that says, you know, a product is immediately ejected if it has any of these kind of ingredients. So I I think there's a lot of similarity there. I think that's a good observation. I love that. And I think that's great for all those who are listening, not only to Sherry's entrepreneurial story, but really interested in getting into this space. I think that's a great place to go. Plantsociety.com, right? 
Yeah. Plant-society. Oh, good. Good distinction. And we will have all of that in the show notes, listeners. So if you're not where you can uh, jot it down, no worries. We've got you covered. I'm interested in this story on behalf of our listeners, because many of them, like you, would have looked into this space and said, the natural conclusion is to create a product. And you very specifically just said, I didn't do that. There's so much in the space. I love that you found a way to enter the space to do the thing that you were passionate about, to do the thing that you were educating yourself to do without creating a product. You said it with such intention. Tell me a little bit about that. Did you go into the space thinking that or was it as a result of finding so many good products that you decided not to do that? Yeah, I think the latter. I really got into the space and I'm sure we'll get to this, but I have a whole other business that I run. So this is like my passion project. Um, So I didn't have endless bandwidth. Nobody ever has endless bandwidth, really. So I think that I got into it with a clear long-term vision, like a five-year vision, but not a completely clear path on where that would go. Mm -hmm. And I felt okay with that. I felt like this is such an emerging area. And so what's really important is that I'm passionate, I'm educated, and I'm going to get in the stream. And I think, you know, when I talk to friends sometimes who have an idea for a business and they're so concerned with putting every single piece in a row before they start. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like I'm just going to start. I mean, the barriers are pretty low at this point. If you're not creating a product, that creates a whole different barrier. But I just felt like I'm going to get in the space. I'm going to see what's going on, where this thing is going and what's needed. My background is in marketing and I'm very focused on kind of consumer research. And so I listen a lot. I listen to what we're asked about. We do a lot of surveying with our clients and I didn't want to create something that didn't need to be created. And I haven't found that need yet. There's a couple ideas I have, so we'll see. And then, you know, the other thing is that kind of in the last, maybe even just six months, I've really expanded beyond CBD. We needed to focus on CBD and cannabis in the beginning because there was so much confusion. But now I'm really starting to focus on uh, functional mushrooms, for example, where you're starting probably to see an explosion of that in the marketplace. And there is so much incredible evidence about their benefits. And I've seen it in my personal life as well. So it's super exciting to really see the full fruition of plant remedies and not just CBD. I think we were known as a CBD business in the beginning, but we're really expanding beyond that. Expanding beyond that. When you, I like, and we'll get to this in the second half when we are picking your brain for advice, but I think it's really important what you just said about just starting, because when you just start, not only getting yourself into the marketplace and getting recognized for being a player, I think what's also really important is in that process, you become aware of what you need to be what the Mm -hmm. market needs and what it doesn't Mm -hmm. need as informed Mm -hmm. by your, should I make a product or not? At least for Mm -hmm. now, you hinted at this other business, which I'm really interested in hearing about because many of us think a side hustle, a passion project emerges from, you know, we're working in a corporate situation and then we start a passion project, but your other business is your business. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so going back a little bit, my background is in marketing. So I attended Stanford. I started as a physics major. This is like the ultimate pivot. Yeah. <laughs> I started as a physics major. I wanted to be an astrophysicist and work in like high tech at the time, which was like defense mechanism stuff. 
And I just quickly realized that was not, even though I love the topics of physics, I didn't love the job opportunities and kind of what that looked like Mm. from a career path. And so I switched to economics, which is kind of, you know, vague. I got a master's in sociology, which is getting a little closer to what I'm interested in, organizational behavior. And then I went to work at Procter & Gamble, which in the 80s, early 90s, actually, when I went there, was sort of the gold standard of CPG marketing, you know, the super traditional marketing program. I mean, now the whole marketing world is completely blown open and there's so much more opportunity to go direct to consumer. So P&G is sort of a dinosaur at this point, but at the time it was really a great place to get some marketing experience. After that, I went to Nestle, which was in that same vein, maybe not quite as serious But I ultimately realized the corporate world was not for me. I just Mm -hmm. did not fit into that box very well. And I was much more entrepreneurial. So I went to a startup that was a marketing services startup. We worked with the post office and created a public-private partnership around the change of address process and kind of targeted people when they were moving by using that change of address card and did this whole thing where we took cost away from the post office in printing of the change of address cards and also did a profit share with them. I was there for seven years. We ultimately sold that business to Pitney Bowes. And I loved that model. I didn't love working with the post office, but I loved that model. And so I started an agency that essentially applied that same public-private partnership model to parks, which I do care about and love. I started in 2003, so we're 18 years old um, as of March this year. I know, it's amazing. And we form public-private partnerships with parks across the United States, and we help them essentially form partnerships with brands that take cost away for them and share revenue with them. So I'm very proud to say that in our history, we've donated or generated dollars of over $13 million to our parks in the U.S. and have helped some really outstanding brands like the North Face and Cook Bar and Coca-Cola and General Mills and can go on and on work with parks and reach people in parks and bring outstanding programs to parks. So I still run that business. I spend, you know, a good chunk of my day running that business and working with our clients and with our parks and do plant society. You know, I I try to think of plant society almost like a client, like I need to pay attention to it. Otherwise it's easy to push it to the back burner, but it's my passion. I'm super, um, that's where my heart lies. That's smart. I like that you treat it like a client. Give us one practical way in which these brands land in the parks so that our listeners can sort of imagine what you're talking about. Like if Coca-Cola or whatever, you give us the the example. So you show up to a park and you want your kid to go on a nature hike with a ranger and there might be cranky because they don't have a snack. The ranger might say, hey, we have a Cliff Kids Bar for free to hand out to you today. Got it. One really simple example. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I love it. Another business model that people can start to think about and incorporate into what their future business could look like. Before we wrap up this part of the interview, I just am curious, uh, and I'm sure our listeners are, what's one thing that has surprised you as somebody who's been in the entrepreneurial space for such a long time? What's one thing that has surprised you about being an entrepreneur? I'm going to speak specifically to the Plant Society experience entrepreneur. And, you know, it's a little bit hard to admit this. And I was kind of surprised by this myself. But honestly, the hardest thing is to kind of keep myself pumped up, Mm. um, which I didn't expect after being an entrepreneur so long. But 
as I referenced, I really think marketing has changed so much, especially in the last five years with social and digital. And, you know, my skills come from longer ago, and I kind of still believe in like experiential marketing and events and kind of some traditional type things. And it's hard to keep grounded in that when you feel like the whole world is saying something else Mm. and the whole world is saying, you know, social media is where it's at and you have to build your business there. And you have access to so many other brands on social media and you can see all the amazing things that you're doing. It's a little bit hard to feel like, oh my gosh, where is my place and what do I have to offer? So I, I have to say, I was a little bit surprised by that and I have to work on it every day. I have yeah. to use all my tools of like, you know, stay true to your vision, be really clear on what, what you're doing and for who and why, and don't get distracted by this great brand that's doing that or that great brand that seems like who knows if they really are doing that. It can be hard. I think like we're seeing in social media in general, that can apply to a brand as well. Yeah, that's a great way to transition into the next part because as I said, this season we're celebrating women who've launched over 40. And I think one of the things that I hear constantly is this digital space, this world that has been going on while I either took a break and maybe was raising kids or I was in a very traditional role and wasn't paying attention to what was happening kind of in the marketing space. I thought TikTok was just for dance moves, but now I'm seeing people who are blowing up on TikTok. Their businesses are blowing up on TikTok. You know, what's happened? What have I missed? Is it too late for me? And Mm -hmm. I love that you said, you know, I'm just, the focus for me is to stay focused, to be true to what I'm doing and who I'm serving. Mm -hmm. Knowing that that has felt like it has felt like, oh gosh, what do I do in this space? And and I really have to work hard to find a way to access that space, but also to use the tools that I have and use, you know, the history of experience that I've built to continue to grow this. Would you have done anything differently if you and I had had a conversation and I had said, Sherry, just a warning, this is what lies ahead of you in this digital space, would you have done anything differently? It's a good question. And to be really honest, I'm not fully decided on the social media side. There's a couple complex factors. So CBD, even though it's fully legal and has been since 2018, is not allowed to be advertised on Facebook and Instagram, which is Mm so infuriating. It may, I mean, that alone makes me not want to do anything on social media because it's just so unfair. So we're a little bit hand-strapped in what we actually can do. Now, of course, we still do Google ads and that's great that we can do that, but it's incredibly frustrating that we can't use social media and it makes me want to not be on it at all. I'm kind of like this close to doing the big statement and saying, we're going off this platform I don't know that I'll actually do that because there is a lot of benefit to it, obviously, but I'm very torn about it. And I'm really focused in terms of how we want to communicate with our audience. I'm much more focused on building our newsletter list and being able to deliver good information through a newsletter. I know some of our audience and we've defined our audience as 45 plus. So that makes us quite different than a lot of the other brands in this space and on social media. 
But we have, I think, a good way to communicate with that audience is through a newsletter where we can mm-hmm. get deeper into our topics. We control that list. You know, we don't suddenly get kicked off one day and we lose everything we've built, which has happened, yes. I know, on, on social media. And plus, we really can't fish for our fish there. And we can put posts up and it can be organic. That is, most people know that's not a great way to, to gain followers. So we're a little bit hand-strapped by it. I'm a little bit ambivalent about it and its kind of role. And my true belief is that our newsletter is a probably better way. So I'm much more focused on how we get people into our newsletter and how we can deliver great education through that. Sure. And obviously you can do more in a newsletter than you can on social media. Sure. And people who are advocates of sort of the newsletter space regardless of demographic, would tell you that that's where you need to be spending the bulk of your energy and your time as a business anyway. If you're investing in any of those platforms, that's the one you own to the point you just made. And I would also say to the demographic you're speaking to, they share some of your frustration, right? Yeah. So they're looking for ways to gather information and to stay abreast of things that perhaps don't, you know, involve dance moves or or whatever the trend du jour might be. What would you say has been a benefit, and let's talk specifically about plant society here, of launching something, having gained all that experience? Like imagine the 20-year-old Sherry versus the current Sherry making the decision to be an entrepreneur. And what do you see as the unique benefits of launching at this point in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. For sure, the just the business tactics and all the kind of running a business and having the confidence to run a business is comes so much easier. You know, part of it is because I've run another business, part of it is just because I'm more experienced and I sort of understand it and feel more comfortable with it. So just kind of the blocking and tackling feels easier. And then I think the other thing is just the confidence in my own passion and vision and staying true to what I want to do versus trying to chase a trend. I think it's a little bit harder to have that compass. And it certainly feels like there are younger people who have this now, at least that's how they present (laughs) on social media. But I didn't have it then. I wasn't as super clear on what my vision was and what I was really trying to do and what was important to me. And so having a lot of clarity around that has been able to be my compass every day when I wake up and think about what I'm trying to do with Plant Society and where I'm going with it and therefore what I'm working on every day. So I think those are the key things. Yeah, the confidence thing, I think, is one of the big ones. Interestingly, I think there's a lack of confidence and a lack of risk taking that happens around the re-emergence into any space, you know, whether it's a nonprofit that's being launched or whatever, there's a little bit of like, what did I miss? What am I behind on? I'm always like, no, it's what are you bringing to the table? Yeah, Just because you think you have more to lose doesn't mean you don't have a lot to bring to this space. And I, I, I hope people listen to that, listen to what you just said about that, because I think it's huge. have pivoted during this pandemic, we too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network, join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups, 
create and share your profile with the whole community, and access a brain trust of entrepreneurial women, all for free. To join the conversation, head to libertyforher.com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. And click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says, Join the Liberty Network. We're transitioning into the part of the interview where we're really picking your brains because I think so many people who are going to be listening to this series in particular, this season, are those women who are thinking about, is this for me? Can I be an entrepreneur? I think you're an outlier. The fact that you have been for so long, I think most people, women in particular in this age group, didn't consider that to be a path. They mm-hmm. they went traditional roles and anybody who did that was their friend who went rogue, right? Mm-hmm. And now more and more and more women see that it's an opportunity for them. What would you say to those women about maybe go back to your just start conversation. What would you say it took for you, again, Plant Society, to just start? Was it the website that you built? What was it doing live events? What was the first thing you did to say, okay, I'm putting myself on the map? Yeah, I thought about it fairly traditionally in that I did do website first. I almost felt like I couldn't do anything else until I had a website. I felt like I couldn't even make a business card until I had a website. And I'm not sure that's actually true, but that was sort of my own internal hurdle was like, if I have enough to say that I can make a website and have information on there that I feel like is valuable, then I can make the business card and create the Instagram and do all the other stuff. But even before that, of course, I sat down and whatever, literally it was a one page format, a, this is what I'm trying to do. This is my vision. This is who I'm serving, who my audience is. Mm -hmm. Here's who I admire, brands that I admire and who I would like to be like at the end of the day and what my unique voice is. I literally thought about, and I thought of it as like the cooler older sister of one of your friends. Like, you know, the one that you just knew was going to have the answer for you and that it was going to be cool. Like that was sort of my vision for what I wanted the voice of plant society to be. And it's really helpful to have that. And part of it just came from kind of thinking about what do I like to consume when I'm either reading a book or a magazine or listening to a podcast, who do I like to listen to? What kind of information do I like to get? And so solidifying that literally on a one sheet, maybe even better on a one sheet than a whole deck, and then figuring out kind of the business model side of it came after that. But first it was like what I want to be. And again, for me, I had kind of this long-term vision, this five-year vision of Mm -hmm. what I wanted. And that allowed me to aim in a direction, right? Again, it didn't mean that the path was straight but it allowed me to aim my path in a direction that I think it's really important. Otherwise you just kind of end up zigzagging a lot. And again, I don't even know if I'll ever end up with that total five-year vision because the world has changed quite a bit since I set that vision. And my vision to reveal it to you is about a set of physical locations around the country that were wellness hubs that, uh, you know, not only dispensed products, but advice and education. So gathering people to come together for education. And Lord knows if I will ever get to that now that the world has changed so much and everything's yeah. gone so online. It's interesting that, to see if we have that appetite. I would tell you to hang on to that vision because I'm wondering if on one hand, everything that happened in in the last year plus has taught us the value of digital. 
On the other hand, I can't wait to go out and shop and eat in a restaurant and not have something delivered to me and Mm -hmm. not order it online because I so want to engage with the world Mm -hmm. and it means more to me now. It's not just Mm -hmm. like I'm tired of being home. I actually feel the need for it and how it enhances my life and hopefully how I'm enhancing other people's lives when I'm interacting and engaging. So please hold on to that vision. Please don't let go of it yet. What I like about you writing it all on one sheet and what I really want our listeners to hear is that's your business plan. Everyone thinks they need this 400 page document and we don't need to kill that many trees. Usually if you've gone into that much granular information, it's no longer a living document. It's no longer flexible. A one page has flexibility. Having said that, it also has exactly what you need to just tether your answers to when somebody says, oh, would you do this for me? Well, no, it wasn't on my one sheet. That is not what I'm focused on. That is not what I'm about. That's not the audience I want to serve. Would you say, yeah, do you Mm -hmm. return to it often, that one sheet? I do. You do? I actually do. Yeah. In the beginning, particularly, I sent it to a lot of people. You know, I can't remember who said this, but they said something like, you know, maybe it was Tim Ferriss or someone who said, you know, if you have an idea, write it down, send it to 10 people and see what they think or send it to 20 people and get their feedback. Don't spend three months writing it down, write it down on one sheet in 20 minutes in a cave day. (laughs) Yes. In a cave day, in a cave day. In a cave day. I did it. I have sort of a new idea that I sent to you, I think, that I did in a cave day. It came to me a cave day. I did a cave day and wrote it down and if you didn't listen to the amazing episode with uh, Molly, it's a 45-minute focused work session with no distractions. And it's amazing what you can get done in 45 minutes, like your entire business plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just send it around to 20 people and get feedback. And if 20 people say, oh my gosh, we need this, then you know you're onto something. And then you go to the next step. And that's just a start. And it's like you start to gain momentum by getting that feedback. I think a lot of people also feel like they need to hide their thing until it's like ready for the world, until they're ready. You know, no, there's dress rehearsals and there's practices and you have people at those dress rehearsals who give you feedback and that's how you get ready for the prime time. And so work your audiences, use not only your friends, but maybe acquaintances, because your friends are probably going to give you good feedback but also send it to 20 people who maybe aren't going to give you as good a feedback, people who aren't as close in on your audience right? and see what the feedback is and what's resonating with people. And then you have something and then you're ready to take the next step and the next step. And so I, I really do think it's kind of like, just start. You're not buying a factory, you know, you're yeah. not. No, amen to that. Just start. I think that makes all the difference in the world. And I have a million anecdotal stories of people who didn't do it. They didn't just start. And by the time they worked through this business plan or this two years of hovering over something and keeping it a secret, they emerged only to pivot and to do something altogether different because they didn't, you know, it's funny. There's a difference between sometimes things are proprietary and I understand people want to keep them under wraps. Most of the time, it's not a big secret. Most of the time, and I'll hear people saying, well, that was my idea first. Well, no, if something sort of exists in the zeitgeist, we're all pulling from that same space and we're all Mm -hmm. getting energized by some similar ideas. You don't really own it. Instead of trying to own the idea, just begin and own the space in the market, right? Don't worry about owning the idea. Let me ask you a question because this is something I often hear. Based on what you just said of sharing it with people, how do you know when you're protecting yourself from naysayers 
and you're just being stubborn and not listening to constructive criticism? That is the million dollar question. I don't know that I have a real yeah. answer for that. I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to be super open and honest with yourself. You also have to be really driven and have perseverance. And you have to be a little stubborn. And some of those incredible ideas where people say, no one's going to drive in the back of your car and think it's right. a taxi, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. Who's going to do that? Who's going to stay in your house and pay but for no it? No one's going to rent a room in your house. <laughs> I know. So, you know, I'm not sure I have the magic answer for that. But again, I think I just really encourage people to go back to your internal compass. And if you strongly believe that this is something that the world needs, which generally starts from it's something that you need, yep. then, you know, let your circle get a little bit bigger each time, right? Do your 20 and then maybe you launch a three-page website and invite 300 people to look at it and just kind of continue to widen your circle and listen, because it's really about making sure that you're serving that audience. You don't want to be so strict to your vision that you're not listening to your audience. Because, yeah. you, you know, some of the best, of course, business ideas came from mistakes or side projects or things that they weren't thinking it was going to be. So you, you, you got to stay flexible. And that's why I say, for me, and I, again, I can't remember where this advice came from, but kind of set that 10-year or that five-year vision, that long-term vision. And then, yes, work the steps backwards, but know that those might change Yeah, and that that path might change. Stay nimble. I think, again, to the point you just made, we're going to see a lot of businesses emerge from the pandemic that are better than they were before mm -hmm. because they stayed true to the actual thing that they were trying to create versus the mechanism. That's where they were mm -hmm. nimble, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I yeah, think exactly. I think that's really key. Okay, you talked about business model, and this is something that a lot of people get tripped up on. You have multiple streams of revenue in your mm -hmm. business. Which one did you start with? What was the model when you began? Not necessarily in writing the five-year plan, because at that point it would have included multiple revenue streams. But what was the first thing you did that you made money doing in Plant Society? The first thing was the online store. Okay. And when I realized how hard it was going to be to draw people to it because of the advertising limitations, yeah. you know, you can see I wanted to go into retail, but I didn't want to start with all that expenditure. So what I did very intentionally was to partner with some retailers and some communities that exist. And I just looked around and said, what are the communities I admire that have a similar mission and what they're trying to do with their audience. And I went to them and I said, look, I think there's a fit for the products that we curate for your audience. But let me tell you, it's a lot of work to curate these products and you're probably not going to do it. So maybe I can help you and you can help me by you introducing me to your audience, but me introducing some products that your audience probably cares about, but doesn't know what to do about. Let me be your expert. And so I was able to do that with yoga studios, with organic markets, with even clothing boutiques, because we do carry some beauty products, with functional medicine doctors. So there's actually kind of a long list of complementary partners. And I really, really love this idea and was very intentional about speaking to it this way that I was trying to serve their community. Mm. And they had each built their own community. If it's a yoga studio, think about the amazing community that a yoga studio yeah. has built or a organic market or a boutique. 
they trust the proprietors of those businesses to curate everything there so that they don't have to think when they go there. They can say, we know everything in here meets this standard. Yep. And therefore, the products that we put there had to meet that standard too. And so we sort of had this automatic acceptance. And we do, I mean, most of our volume comes from our partnerships, far more than our own online store. And it's something that kind of feels great to me. These are communities that I was experienced with and felt a part of. And so it's really fun to get to enhance my relationship with those communities and really serve them. And we serve them not only through the product selections, but we do education with them as well. And whether it used to be in person and now online, but it's fun to get to serve those communities through education and products. I know some of the partners that you have partnered with and knowing now a little bit more of how you decide or who you decided you wanted to be the cool big sister. You definitely picked cool big sister partnerships. (laughs) Um, It's definitely in line with whether it's the boutique that you're in that I know of the other places that you're involved with. I know who goes to those places in our local area. We're both Pasadena for those who are listening, Pasadena and Altadena, shout out to Altadena. Um, And I think very smartly found a way to expand your brand based on who those partnerships are. Let me just for clarity, because the question is around model. So you sold product on your website, not your product, other people's product that you curated when you're doing these partnerships, this other revenue model, you're buying product wholesale, putting it in these partners on their shelves, and you're a middle person, but that middle person is the person who's curated it. So you bring that education, you bring all of that along with it. It's not just buying from one person, selling to another. You're adding value as that middle person. Am I reading that right? Absolutely. And it's branded. That's the other thing that was really important to me is that it's almost like a shop and shop model. We have a branded shop within those locations. And so they're not just showing up blind. They are showing up under the Plant Society name and logo. And if people need information, they either call me or they go to our website or we do an event with them or we actually have educational materials inside the stores. And the other thing that I want to mention is that those curations are different within each of those locations because a functional medicine doctor needs a different set of products than a clothing boutique does. Sure, sure. So that's the other thing is that, you know, they may be completely different sets of products from each other, but they're suited to those audiences. Thank you for that. I think that's huge. Just you describing those two revenue streams within your business model. And I want to ask about one other one that I know you have where you guys do one-on-one consulting, curating kind of a list of products for individuals. Am I right? Did I get that right? Okay. Yes, that's, thank you. That's primarily Sue. And that is her main business that she does consulting. And really it's more on the cannabis side than the CBD side. And she has kind of a specialty in working with older people who are on a lot of medications and want to go off them. But it's a little bit more serious than just saying, I want to stop using whatever face oil I'm using and I want to try a different one. You know, if we're talking about getting off a prescribed drug and trying to use cannabis that you have to get at a dispensary, it's just a one step more serious. And her as a medical professional, she is able to provide that advice 
Right. It's usually not a quick switch. It's not like stop taking this, start taking that in this quantity and it's going to work. And the whole interesting thing about cannabis and CBD is because it works on our endocannabinoid system of which everybody's is different. There's not a lot of enough research on the protocols of how much you take, how often, and then how it's going to fit your body. It is a little bit of a trial and error. And so Nurse Sue is really able to help people find that sweet spot with those medications and come off of some of the other stuff in a more safe way. And so if there's anything that kind of falls into that realm, Sue handles it. If it's more like I'm feeling a little anxious in my day, do you have something that could help me? That's something I feel very comfortable guiding people towards. But if someone's on an SSRI, I don't necessarily want to be helping them to get off of that and don't feel qualified at this point to do that. Sure. And just for our listeners, Sue is the nurse that got involved by giving her mother or finding solutions for her mother, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, just a yeah. reminder. I want to ask you this question because I'm so fascinated by this. We heard your backstory, the way you were raised by your parents in the 70s, the lack of Twinkies in your house. Thank mm-hmm. God. But you also were entering the wild, wild west. Like you talked about this 2016 decision that really prompted you you know, the legalization of, do we say of marijuana? Do we say cannabis. Of, of cannabis? And cannabis. Can, why do we use the word cannabis? So cannabis is the genus. The two species are hemp and marijuana. Okay. Marijuana being the THC heavy side and hemp being the CBD heavy side. But really it's cannabis is the genus. Okay. Okay. That's super helpful. So you decide, okay, I want to enter this wild, wild west because it truly was. People didn't know what they could use, should use, what was going to qualify them as a pothead if they used it, what was going to be like good for them, good for their hair, good for their face, good for their body, good for healing joints, you know, all this stuff came out. And you decide to tackle this thing. When you think about people who are going into the wild, wild west of whatever, whether it's the digital space, you know, marketing, if that's our thing, and we want to enter that, we often look to millennials. And we say millennials are owning this. And I would say that means there's an opportunity for non-millennials. What would you say to that? I completely agree. And I I mean, you got to love millennials, but they operate very differently. And so you heard me say I was very intentional that my audience was 45 plus. And there are places like Goop that cover, you know, touch on at least a little bit, dabble in maybe what I'm doing. But I think that I'm trying to provide something that's a little bit more substance, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not quite as sleek on the style, but a little bit more substance. And I just felt that, and the feedback was that my audience was interested in something a little bit more serious. So a little mm-hmm. more science-based, a little more relatable in that I'm a real person that is in that same audience. And right. so I was very, very intentional in saying, I'm not trying to get the 25-year-olds. You don't really need to convince 25-year-olds to try CBD. They just do. Sure. You need to convince a 50-year-old to try CBD. Yeah. And so I felt that that's where my message was going to resonate. And that's where the need was. And really even up into the seventies, I mean, I have clients who say, you know, my husband takes, you know, seven pills a day. I want to get him off of those. How can we do that? Can you come over and like clean out our medicine cabinet and get rid of all the junk we're using, all the prescription stuff we're using and help us live a little bit more cleanly. So I, I just feel like nobody was really speaking to that audience. It's super fun to feel like you're hip and cool and you're a millennial, but I'm not 
not. And so I just had to kind of say, I am who I am. And I believe there are many other people like me who want this information and want to get it from somebody that's relatable. Yeah. And I would say we need more women who are over that 40, 45 in their 50s mark who are bringing the hip and cool to these very serious things. Like, I don't really want to resign to things that are hip and cool for me, for my age, for my demographic. I'm not really interested in what's hip and cool for a 30-year-old. I'm interested in what's hip and cool for a Um, 50-year-old. I kind of think about it. Sorry to interrupt you. I kind of think think about it like I'm this like traveler who goes to this other land and then I come back and I like tell the stories to my crew. I like travel out there and I gather all the good information and then I come back and I go, but here's what we're, here's all we really care about. Like we can get rid of this part and that part. And this is the part that's interesting to us. You know, maybe it's whether it's menopause or something a 30 year old's yeah. not dealing with, but I really feel like my role as an adventurer who goes out and gathers information and comes back and translates it. I um, love that. That's <laughs> brilliant. And the fact that you have said, I think at least three times in this interview that you're a listener and you value listening and the importance of listening makes you a great traveler and a great storyteller. And so then we start to develop this relationship with you. You are plant society. You're who we're gathering this information from. And you become not only the curator of what currently exists in your lineup of products, but of other future information that we want to get. We trust Sherry. We we trust what she has to offer and we know where she's coming from. We've built this relationship. So I'm 100% for the live in-person experiences and the stores that I'm still thinking you need to open. I, I want to be mm-hmm. a part of those. In closing this part of the interview, what would you like to say to the 40, the 50, the 60-year-old startup or woman who's an entrepreneur who's trying to grow her business, what do you think she needs to be thinking about or considering when she dives into the the world of entrepreneurship? What gems do you want to pass on to her? I think we've said some of them, but to summarize, it's just like, what is missing from your life? First of all, where do you spend your time? Just like follow your bliss. Like what, where does that bliss lead you when you have nothing on your calendar or when you consciously mark off an hour hour on your calendar for yourself. What do you do? And what do you like to spend your time on? And then what do you feel like is missing from that? So um, to really tap into that and use yourself as the audience, I mean, it goes exactly against what they used to teach us at P&G. Like you're not the audience. You have to listen to the research and don't think you're the audience. Well, that's great when you're working at P&G, but yeah. I want to be doing something every day that I love and that I'm passionate about. And whether anybody listens or not, I'm like, in a way, my audience of one, like as long as I'm learning something from this information, then it's kind of valuable and it's worth it. So, but the chances are, if you're interested, that somebody else is interested. So first of all, tap into those things. And I think you really have to give yourself the space to do that. Mm. I don't know whether it's a hike or a nature walk or putting on your headphones and closing out the world, but really kind of start to pay attention to that. And then, as I said, the second thing is just give it a try, you know, find a way to give something a try. Again, I, Tim Ferriss has some phrase for it. Like, I forget what it is, but it's basically like, if you can test early and fail early and figure out where the flaws are and what, and what the gem is early without a lot of money, that's the way to do it. So kind of try to get to that kernel fast and quick and without spending a lot of money. 
and then go from there. And don't be so tied to this big formalized business plan and path. Really think through ways you can do this quickly and easily and inexpensively and, and get a read on whether it's a fit or not. Well said. Well said. What a great way to wrap up that part of the interview, Sherry. Thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom. Thanks for sharing about Plant Society. And also when you said carve out a little space, I know that awesome office that you're in is mm-hmm. was literally built on the other side of your backyard in your pool. Right. I've seen great pictures on your website of that. And, and I think that's important to carve out a little space that you can call your own workspace, that you can... It's amazing what you can do in 10 by 12. Yeah. Is that <laughs> really what it is? 10 by 12. <laughs> it's awesome. I encourage everyone to go to Plant Society's Instagram. Is it at Plant Society or at Plant-Society? Plant Society 1 is the Plant Instagram. Plant Society 1. And you'll see what we're talking about. So before we let you go, we wrap up our interviews, as you know, as a listener, with a few what we call our fast five, just some fun questions to help our audience get to know you. So what do you think is the number one trait that an entrepreneur must possess? Perseverance. Yeah. Yeah. And for all the reasons you talked about in your, you know, the things that you have to overcome and, and go through. And if we haven't not learned easy. that in 2020. I don't know if you're going to learn it if you haven't learned it. Yeah. What's one app that you use? It can be on your phone. It can even be something that you use to stay organized throughout your day on your web or whatever, but something you use for your business. Later. Yes. I use later for um, social posting. It just makes it as much as I don't like to put time towards social media. It's a thing that keeps it super organized and easy. Yeah. I think that one has emerged from asking that question as the fan favorite um, over some of the other ones. So I I appreciate that. It's just, you can use it for free. I have a slightly upgraded version, but I mean, you can be using it for years for free and get everything you need out of it. What is the upgrade? I think it allows you to post stories automatically or something. I can't even remember exactly what it is, but the the other one I would give a shout out to is Canva. Canva is amazing. Also free and you can do some upgrades, but incredible what you can do. I mean, you do not need a designer anymore. You can do so much with their templates and it's awesome. Our entire website and well, most of our website, I should say, and our Instagram is thanks to Canva. And I am not a designer and I've spent a lot of time <laughs> putting those things yeah. together. Because you can spend a lot of money with a designer yeah. and certain things like a logo maybe or something you might need it for. But Canva is a graphics um, yeah. app for those who don't know it, but it is awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. One task, the first task you hired out for as soon as you had a little bit of money. You're probably going to guess this, but social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I hired a millennial to do my social media. You know what? I mean, that's a great way to use that money and also to use somebody who, you know, we talk a lot about mentoring at Liberty and cross mentoring is I'm a big, big believer and invite people into the space from a different generation that know something different than you do. That experience Mm -hmm. is not necessarily based on how long you've lived, but the space that you've been playing in for a period of time. Okay, this is the one that I think is the hardest question, which is red vines or Twizzlers? It's not hard at all. Red vines. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, it was my California from the West friend. Coast. Yeah. It's all red vines exactly. all the way. It There's is. not even a question. It is. They naturally grow here. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, our podcast is Liberty For Her. Our website is, we really believe in the premise and the reason we're here is helping women to liberate their own dreams. What does liberty mean to you? 
for sure the ability to pursue my passion and make it a business. Yeah. And I've done it now with a couple businesses, but Plant Society is really the passion project. And we're just so lucky that we have so many tools and so many channels now. I mean, no, it's not the day of when I was at P&G when it was so hard to launch a business. It is so doable these days. So that is just an incredible amount of freedom to me. I could never, I could never go back to a big corporation. It just means too much to be able to be in charge of my own destiny and working on something I'm passionate about and being my own boss and working with people I want to work with. Sherry, thank you. You have put so much of this interview in perspective for our listeners. I cannot wait for them to hear your words. And I would encourage you all to also go to Sherry's site, plant-society.com and the Instagram that we mentioned. All of this will be in the show notes. I think there's an education awaiting you on that website. Thank you for your time. Thank you again for sharing your story. It's so great to see your face on Zoom here in your awesome office. And I'm looking forward to visiting in real time, in real life, whether it's at one of your partner places or the soon-to-be Plant Society location. I'll be there. I'll be in line. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Liberty listeners, thanks for tuning in again, and we will catch you guys next week. Liberty for Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty for Her on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty for Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.